You can walk into a brewery anywhere in the world and you can feel like you're home. Usually, yeah. But at the same time, um, there's like differences here that there should be because you're in a different country and it shouldn't be the same place. Oh, it's just, yeah. Every yeah. single brewery is different for yes. sure. Yeah. But do they tend to be like open minded and friendly? Tend yeah. to be, of course. That brewery vibe, you know. Brewery vibe. I think kind of, that's kind of universal, yeah. I think. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. A rooster, a monkey, and a rabbit walk into a cerveceria. What country are we in? Colombia. See. See. What brewery is Muy it? Bien. What brewery? What brewery? Wait, wait. How would you say that in Espanol? Uh, que cervecería. Si? Sierra Blanca cervecería. Sierra Blanca cervecería. This is our second brewer that we got to interview for the podcast. Um, and it's Carlos from Sierra Blanca, like you just said. Uh, he is a brilliant brewer and I would say an even better human. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think most of the people we met down there that we decided to do, inter- well, everybody we decided to do interviews with was fantastic. That's part of why we wanted to interview them. So, but yeah, I mean, I had a fantastic time in Colombia and we met so many wonderful people. Carlos is definitely one of the people that I think embodies that, like, just gracious, cool, genuine spirit that we found in a lot of places in Colombia. But yeah, like you said, he is definitely out of our experience down there and my experience. I think that he's one of the best brewers in that area. There's definitely some other good breweries there, but Carlos is is right there at the top. Um, and, you know, Julian from Old Brothers right there, like their quality is incredible. And, and their spirit for the craft beer community down there is re- what really draws me in is just they're so passionate about it and trying to build something, you know? And I think we touched on that before um, in the podcast with Old Brother, with Julian. But yeah, I guess it's just that thing that's just so infectious for me is the whole, I love love that like entrepreneurial, that entrepreneurial spirit and that idea of building something that, building an identity for their brewing culture there is a big thing that they're doing. Yeah. And that's a lot, actually what uh, Carlos talks about on this interview that they're like, you just said, building that identity, but he talks about a lot about using the local ingredients and local fruits Mm -hmm. and also the historical pieces to all of that too, because you know, beer has been around for a long time and it's also been around in Colombia for a long time. It's just very different looking like chicha, for example. He talks a little bit about that because he's brewed things like that. And that's another reason I think I liked um, Sierra Blanca a lot is, yeah, the community is great. The beer is great. But just his uh, uniqueness and creativity when it comes to brewing the beer. And then it's just spot on. Oh, yeah. The beer is fantastic. Like, this isn't, oh, this is good for Colombia or this is good for Medellin or whatever like that. This is good beer, period. And like you said, Carlos is using local ingredients and he does such a variety of styles. Like 
like sour beers are kind of a big thing in a lot of places in the world, especially the United States right now. And he, he's embraced that in Medellin and that I think especially allows him to use some of the fruits and vegetables and things that some of the agriculture that's grown in that region. That's what I was going to say is like the fruit down there. Like if, if you're in Colombia or, you know, in South America and that area of Latin countries, Latin American countries, like the fruits are fantastic and they're fresh and they're so different than what you can expect in the United States. So yeah, why would you not brew with them? Yeah. And there it's, that was fun for me trying these fruits. Um, tomate, tomate audible. Oh, uh, that's the one I was hoping you would come up with it because I was like trying to scratch it out of the back of my brain. It's like, dang it, I can't remember the word. Tomate <laughs> audible, which roughly translates to like a tree tomato. Tree tomato, but it's not. Well, and you all know if you actually really do your science lessons, tomatoes aren't vegetables in the first place; they're fruits. And this one is actually, I mean, it's more of a fruit. It's got kind of a right. It's a little sweeter. sweeter. Taste to it, it still has a tomato ness to it. I guess you'd <laughs> say if that's right. Um, like we would have here, as far as like tomatoes we grow in the garden or on, on a farm or something. But there, it's this one in particular is kind of a fruity kind of t- more fruity as far as the flavor goes. Although it's not super sweet, like mm-hmm. um, you know, like an apple or a strawberry or something like that. Speaking of beer. Um, I didn't open my beer yet, and I would really like to drink a beer. Fine, we, like, fine. You know, Interrupt the whole podcast well, yeah. for your beer. Ready? That, this that is, is a break. pretty important. So It's a break I for guess. anyone if they really forgot to grab a beer before they started oh, listening. Oh, yeah, go grab a beer, Dan. Even if you're on a treadmill or something and you're listening, go <laughs> get a beer. You might not want to grab a beer on the treadmill. Well, you can. Okay. You're a... You know, you're your own person. I'm not going to tell you I, no or yes, but that's... I'm uh, waiting. I'm just saying I just pull myself... I'm just saying Will I you? waive all my responsibilities if you decide to do that. To stop talking so I can open the beer. Open your damn beer. Oh! Whoa. That was messy. That's good, though. It's a... Well, we are in Montana, so this is like proper... We're re- well, we're in as Montana. As we record the as intro. Re- yes, yes, as we're recording this right now, the intro. This, So it's proper that I'm drinking a Kettle House... Uh, Hellgate Honey Hefeweizen. Triple H. Triple H. And not the wrestler. <laughs> okay, back to the podcast. Jeez <sighs> oh, Louise. I already had my beer. so. Yeah, he already opened it. Anyhow, back to the podcast. <laughs> so we're going to be talking to, we actually, yeah, we're going to be talking to... Um, Carlos. Carlos. Sierra Blanca. We were actually lucky enough to be invited to kind of like his production space and more of an intimate um, invitation only mini. Right, tap they have room. a little event space kind of tap room because it's just not in the area where you want where you can have your tap room because it's it's kind of an interesting area because it not not because you shouldn't have. I'm sorry, I don't want to make it sound like it's not a good place to be. It's a great it's place a to fine have a tap pla- room. No, it's a fine place to be, but it's kind of. Um, the way the business is set up, it's in a business and residential kind of mixed area that um, I think it just probably kind of would mess with the neighborhood, with the neighbors a little bit. If you had a full on tap room where people could just come and go all day long whenever they want. Carlos so did say a little he was more private. trying to be respectful of his neighbors there. So he only yeah. has a few people over every once in a while to this tap room. In this tap room, the little private invite only kind of event space um, is also his brewery and 
what was I going to say? Oh, it's in Envigado, which is kind of like a suburb of Medellin. Yeah. Uh, beautiful area, though. So if you are in Medellin ever, like, just get down to Envigado because there's other restaurants and other little um, beer bars. And what was the one beer bar? I cannot remember the name of that beer bar. It was really Ma- uh, Magia Negro, like Black Magic. Ah, yes. Magia so I think Negro. if I said that right, it's Magia Negro. So. But that's a cool little beer bar right there, too. So it's still a really great little area. But the actual uh, tap room mm-hmm. is in what's called Provenza, which is... It's on the edge, it's of, on Provenza, the edge of Provenza, so it's not the crazy part of Provenza. In El Poblado. Yeah. But Provenza... Provenza? Yeah. Provenza. Provenza is um, very touristy, but it's also a cool place to be because it's it's nightlife and it's people watching. And if you like going out to dance, you can do that. But there's a couple breweries there. There's a lot of restaurants there. And it's just a beautiful part of Medellin. And it's a cool tap room. They have a really nice tap room that um, butts up with some other cool businesses right around them, some restaurants and things. Yeah. So and it's a nice area. It's a, it's a cool area to hang out. I did um, link in the show notes... Um, we did a whole thing about what to know about going to Medellin before you go. So there's yeah. an article on that, and I linked that in the show notes, so you can check that out. Because this one, we're going to move on and actually talk about beer-specifically Sierra Blanca. And not all about Medellin, per se. No, not so much about Medellin. I would say, as far as that goes, like, breweries in Medellin, like, um, we're talking about... I can't help it. I did it on the last one. Breweries. 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 But if you don't know what we're talking about, you'll just have to watch the one with um, Julian at Old Brother. Because I, I can't help it. Whenever you say brewery and we talk about Medellin, I'm like, brewery. Yes. And we can make fun at that and laugh at that with our friend because we're trying to learn Spanish and anybody can laugh at us trying to learn Spanish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they've yeah. done that. We laugh at his English. He laughs at our Spanish. Yes. It's okay. That's how it works. It's a fair trade. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, but I think we probably mentioned this when we were on the Old Brother podcast is that a lot of breweries down there don't have their production and their tap room in the same space very often, especially the smaller ones, which most of them are smaller. And it's just it's just a matter of logistics and affordability and having it all in one place. It's it's tough to find a big enough spot in a place that you get enough foot traffic to have a tap room to also have your production. It's just really tough. Um, so most most of the brewers down there are brewing somewhere else and then bringing their kegs and stuff over into their tap rooms. Although there's a handful, you know, that are a little bit bigger that are brewing on site. You know, um, Bipolar and Twenty Mission and those guys are brewing on site. Twenty Mission, Veinte Mission. Hey, Espanol. Go- hey, hey. This is an English-speaking oh. podcast for now okay. because it is. I am not fluent enough yet. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It is. Working on. But we were working we on were, it. One of these days, yeah. we'll, we'll you'll tune in and you'll be like, "What the hell are they saying?" Unless you speak Spanish too, and then uh, yeah, then you'll be all good. Well, we were so honored we'll though. What I was trying to say is, we were honored to be able to um, to meet Carlos like ahead of time at his main tap room in. Um, El Poblado area and then we set the podcast up and we got to go to his production space in that smaller tap room and it was really cool because you're kind of in this little yeah. courtyard with an open air um, like it was just I don't know kind it was of cool. a cool space and, and then, plus that's where they're brewing so they had a few beers in the works um, and 
uh, earlier, April mentioned the chicha that he's been working mm-hmm. on, and he had that in the works, and it wasn't quite um, fully developed yet. It wasn't quite fully um, fermented or conditioned. So we, but we did get to taste it, so which yeah. was kind of cool. And then other people were there too with, with us, um, like kind of in the background talking oh, and yeah. tasting their own beers. So because I said it is still a tap room, so you get the tap room vibe. So that's why I'm like, you should totally have a beer and sit down and listen and feel like you're actually at this really special place in Envigado in Colombia. It is a really special place in Envigado. Exactly. So I think we should let Carlos tell his story, especially more about what we opened with. The rabbit. The rabbit. The rooster. The rooster. And the monkey. Walk into a cerveceria and then, whoa. All bets are off, baby. Yeah. That's their logo, and he'll explain it. It's kind of cool. I love the artwork there. Oh, yeah. The artwork is freaking cool. And they use it on on their labels, too. So it's really awesome. Yeah. There's even a reference to Ted Lasso in there, too. What? Ted Lasso? Who's that? Oh, you're funny. Okay. Ted Lasso's dead to me. They ended the series. Damn it. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) Okay. We're done. We're going to let Carlos do the talking. Okay. Yeah. Here he is. Carlos from Sierra Blanca Cerveceria. Carlos, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, welcome. <laughs> we are here at the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast. Um, we're at Sierra Blanca. Um, is it officially in Envigado or Medellin? It's or? officially in Envigado, in yeah. Envigado. Uh, right in the middle. Okay. Like, actually, it's uh, old Envigado because we're pretty close from the square. So, as I was telling you, like, you could see the house. That's a uh, 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 housing developed around the square like around 100 years ago so it's it's a hardcore if you got right in the middle <laughs> of, we're uh, in the og of colombia everybody's <laughs> like where in the hell is envigado <laughs> right so colombia yeah See. which i hate to say this but it 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 was very new that i found out that you know, in my geography classes, that Colombia was actually spelled C-O-L-O-M-B-I-A. Oh, oh yeah. Common mistake. Common yeah. mistake, yeah. But I just feel like I should have known that a long time ago. Oh, yeah. There's people that get angry here about, like, uh, the U, like, yeah. Colombia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it happens, like, I've dealt with it all my life. Because <laughs> you were born and raised here, right? I was born and raised, yeah, but always in contact with us American friends, and I could see I was, like, a common mistake <laughs> done by American people. They just start familiar with the Colombia with you and yeah. then the O many times we misspelled it. Yeah. Well, we had enough of our own problems trying to spell and learn all the 50 states and capitals and all that oh, and like yeah. where all those are located. located. So yeah, I think that yeah, Columbia yeah. with an O probably took a back seat. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, instead of talking about geography, maybe we should talk about your brewery. Sure, so I can. I like to start it out by saying like, so we're here with you, Carlos, but why? Like, maybe you should tell us why we think you're so cool. Oh, ah. I, have, I have no clue, but like we, <laughs> uh, we stumbled upon at the bar, like, uh, so we're a small brewery, uh, we're pumping out about like uh, like 20 barrels a month, and we have two bars, and one of them was when I met you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, bar has been open for the last year and a half, and uh, we are, uh, we have 12 lines, and uh, trying to pump out the best beer possible, and then I met you guys, and... Initially, I thought that you were like in the wrong place because I saw you chatting and thought, oh, these guys are going to the restaurant, but they sat at the bar. But then I got, I spoke with you and like, you're all about beer. So that was pretty cool. I <laughs> yeah. mis- misread your body language. 
Yeah, please don't kick us out of the brewery. Never, ever. Oh, no. <laughs> I never kick anyone out of the brewery. <laughs> That's Absolutely. one of the reasons why we actually love breweries everywhere we go. It's just because I, I think I said it earlier, um, we were at B Polar, and I think I said that. It's one of the first nights we were in Medellin, and I was like, you can walk into a brewery anywhere in the world, and you can feel like you're home. Usually, yeah. But at the same time, um, there's like differences here that there should be because you're in a different country and it shouldn't be the same place. Oh, it's just, oh yeah. yeah. Every yeah. single brewery is different for yes. sure. Yeah. But do they tend to be like open minded and friendly? Tend yeah. to be, of course. That brewery vibe. You know, brewery vibe. I think that's kind of universal, I think. But I think what I really like about the smaller breweries um, is that the breweries take on the traits of their owners and their brewers. Like their characteristic traits kind of match. Is it wrong to say it's kind of like if you see an owner and a dog, you can kind of match the owner and the dog together? Well, yeah. so you can match. After a couple of years, it, <laughs> they, they will start looking alike. Yeah, you can sure. like match up the owner and the brewery. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Okay, so no, my, the, you can't see it through the sound of the podcast but my face had a weird look because I was thinking you're talking about the personality of the brewer and the brewery and I'm thinking of the crazy rabbit and rooster and monkey graphics that you have all over the place and like um, in your uh, tap room in Poblado in Provenza it has like the rooster fighting the monkey. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did all that come from? Because those are some crazy cool graphics, though. Yeah, really well, edgy. Well, when we started brewing, we started brewing at another place called Sierra Blanca, as where we have our name. It's a place in El Retiro that's actually close to Torre Alta. Um, my parents have like a small house there, and that's where I started brewing. And back then, we used to uh, throw out the spent grain. And there was a rabbit and a rooster that were best friends. They were always hanging out together. <laughs> always, always, always. And when we threw out the spent grain, they'll come and eat it. And uh, we're, brewing, we're home brewing, and once we were invited to a, a beer event, so we had to come up with a logo like in 72 hours. Oh, man. And uh, we were like, okay, let's call it Sierra Blanca, because that's the place where we're brewing at. And let's just include a rooster and a rabbit in the logo. So we asked a friend, that, uh, she's a graphic designer, came up with a real simple logo, like Sierra Blanca, uh, with the profile of a rooster and a rabbit. And we used that for a while. And then a couple of years later, uh, I was invited to judge at a beer competition in Ecuador, where I met uh, David Gonzalez. He's a great graphic designer, and he's from Spain. Uh, he's a great graphic designer, he's from Spain. and. Uh, He's, he has uh, this brand that's called Hopware. And Hopware is all about beer. So he designs uh, beer brands. So he also designs like uh, beer-related clothing. And I fell in love with his work and uh, asked him to, if we could make our, our, our new logo in, in our labels. And uh, we had the rooster, we had a rabbit, and we gave him a little bit of, of the vibe we are at the brewery. So we told him like, we're like uh, underdogs. Uh, we are come like more or less from the underground. We're an underground brewery, kind of underdogs. And then he matched everything together. He started coming up with crazy art with the rooster and the rabbit, coming up with like crazy logos. I have to show you all the labels we have. And one of them was the one we have at the bar. That's the Sorachi pale ale label. Oh, so yeah. Sorachi is a Japanese hop. Mm -hmm. Initially developed by Sapporo back in the 70s, mm -hmm. they used it between the 70s and the 80s and they stopped it using and then it was like stored like in a genetic bank um, 
think it was Washington State. And then this uh, farmer known for growing uh, weird hops came back with it back in the 2000s and it became real strong. So we love Sriracha, it's a lover, hate hop, because mm-hmm. he has a very characteristic profile. And labels, like we were like speaking about the labels, it was like, okay, so it's a Japanese hop, why don't we think about like a samurai? And he was like, okay, let's include a third character, and that's where the monkey came in. The samurai monkey? Samurai monkey. <laughs> and it, it has been included in several other labels too. I love it. But I even love the so, story by Yeah, and I have to say to our listeners too, like in the, the brewery here on top of the door, on top of the door, it says, in chalk, I think, we are the underdogs. We are the underdogs, yep. And it's yeah. just like handwritten in there. So, okay, wait. So anybody who uh, watches Ted Lasso, if, <laughs> if you know Ted Lasso, most people do. I don't know if you do. I have no clue. Okay, but if you watch Ted Lasso, all I can picture is this sign that says, believe, right above the door. And I see the sign that says, we are the underdogs, right above the door. That means the same thing. Yeah. You got to believe. Okay, maybe off mic, we'll explain Ted Lasso to you. It's a cool show. Anyhow. <laughs> But no, yeah, I love that though because, but you guys, you guys are small, but you're, you not just from our experience, but from other brewers we've talked to in Medellin and the surrounding area, you have a lot of respect in the beer community here. That's one of the best breweries in Medellin. Yeah, well, thankfully uh, we've been fortunate that we uh, stepped into the beer scene a couple of years ago when it was smaller and we have been known for being like creative and always trying to bring out new beer mm-hmm. that's the cool thing about having like a small system like you can always uh, be creative you right. know the bigger the the tanks uh, the more expensive the uh, the larger the investment for your raw materials the less creative you become so that's a cool thing about like having like small fermenters we have like a couple of bigger ones but with the smaller ones we're always like playing and uh, we're initially known for our IPAs, and we still love our IPAs, but like lately we've been like into sour beers and fruit beers, and always trying to like keep up with something new, and uh, every time we travel around South America to beer competitions, we're trying to learn and get inspired about new stuff going on, and always try to replicate it here, and I guess uh, the beer scene appreciates that, because we always have something new coming up, and new ideas, and trying to push the ground boundaries, and trying to... Uh, bring in like the local ingredients uh, at the end it's uh, one of the things that many people that love beer are looking for when they look for craft beer when they're mm-hmm. traveling mm-hmm. yeah and I think you are at least in, in our experience so far you you're doing that the most of anybody in the area that I know of because you're using like the tomate arbol which is uh, which roughly translates to tree tomato but, but it's, it's a, a fruit. Tomato, it's yeah. not like the tomato we think of as from the garden for your salad. It's it's a fruit, and you use different kinds of passion fruits, and which um, that's another kind of different thing um, coming from America to here. It's cool to see the different types of passion fruits you have because it's at least from my education in the United States, I think of passion fruit as one thing, just one. Yeah, but you there, come here, many, and there are yeah. many, many different ones that all have very different characteristics, almost like hops, you know, hops have, there's an endless variety of hops, there's almost an endless variety of passion fruits. But even for us coming from the United, from the States, yeah, it's really unique to us, but even for people here, I think in Colombia, it's unique that you're using the fruits and things and creating these unique and innovative beers. So you're like one of those first brewers that are starting that. Yeah, it's it's, it's lots of fun, because I've had this conversation, 
like this is probably not my idea I heard it from someone else but it's like definitely true like we're always like trying to like to emulate with hops like a mango profile and a passion fruit profile and we have the fruits like there and we're trying to emulate that with like uh, imported products like don't get me wrong I love my hops it's a different profile that you get from fruits but uh, we have we have fruits really available so that's an easy ingredient that we can use and mm -hmm. that I do believe that's going to be the future of Latin American craft beer. Lots of fruit beers coming along. We will always love our IPAs. We will always try to emulate like hazy IPAs, uh, New England IPAs. But there's also fruits that are going to become a strong part of the craft beer scene. There already are, but they will grow for sure. Yeah, and that, that's what I was just saying like earlier, how like you have the, you know, the American style or whatever. We're not top-notch in, any, in anything as much as we like to think that we are. But like you have that style that you like of breweries, but then each place has their own unique individuality, and that's what we, we should have. When you go to Medellin, you should, or, you know, Colombia, and you should have that style. If you go to Mazatlan, there should be like a, a kind of a distinct thing from Mexico. If you're going to, you know, somewhere in Europe or Germany, you should have all those things. It shouldn't be the same rep repetition of everywhere. Yeah. That's what's really great. It is. Uh, for example, uh, a couple of months ago, we were in uh, Copa Tairona. It's a beer competition, and uh, we had uh, chicha, like uh, chicha beer, that has. Uh, it was brewed with like no hops. It's different from the one we tried earlier. Okay. Uh, no hops. We had uh, orange leaves, uh, dried orange, coriander seeds, and canola added to the beer. And beer did pretty well in the, in the competition. And there was a, a German friend there. Uh, he's, he's also a beer judge. And at the end, he was he was like fascinated with the beer. He was telling me like, I didn't come over here to try like a perfect uh, replication of a German pills. Mm -hmm. I wanted like something different, like a Tibor, like a big shot of Tibor, like if he ever hears this. Uh, he was uh, he was looking for that. He was not looking for a perfect German replication or a perfect American IPA. He was looking for something different, something mm -hmm. local. And uh, I'm not, not going to be like only local or only like trying to copy European or American styles. I love them both. But it's also yeah. fun like when you walk into a tap room, a local tap room, you can find like classic beers uh, that you could go directly for, like a Kolsch or a, a Cream Ale. But it's also fun to see like a weird food that you've never heard of uh, in a beer as one of the selections you have in the tap room. Well, and that's what makes beer fun too, though, is like using those things. Like you, you have fruit, all these fruits readily available here that you can easily add into the beer that it would be very costly, say, in Germany or the United States or somewhere else to bring that fruit and put it in the beer. And you can try new things. You can do an IPA that has maybe certain hops that have some kind of tropical or mango profile, but then you can actually add mango to it as well and create something a little bit different. Of course. And the same thing happens in the United States. We add juniper berries to things that maybe that's not something that's easily easily available here where you can't just go for a hike in the mountains here and find juniper oh, berries. They're expensive. We brewed yeah. ones with juniper berries and we had to go like to this very specific store and buy juniper berries like for an expensive price. So that's the thing, it's the same thing that happens with fruits. Like I hear like Americans telling me, like American friends telling me or Australian friends telling me how expensive fruit is back back home. Mm -hmm. and for us, hops are expensive Yeah, and fruits are inexpensive. So yeah. maybe many times that's the reason why 
that people brew beer with the, with the, with the degrees they have mm-hmm. close by. Well, and I mean, that's how it all started, right? You, people just brewed with what they had, especially way back before they knew what they were even, you know, really even knew what they were doing yet. They didn't know about different, the different characteristics of fermentations and yeasts, and, you know, even before they knew what yeast was. Yeah, there when was a magic stick. Brewing, <laughs> yeah, <know>? magic stick <laughs> given <laughs> on by generation after generation. If you're a good yeah. brewer, then your grandfather would give you his... Yeah, yeah. his paddle, and that, yeah. that was where the magic was, where all the yeast would be um, stored. But yeah, and that's the thing, as I was telling you, with chicha, chicha beer, that's mm-hmm. uh, something that's coming along, and it's like uh, basically our local beer. That's a beer, uh, but uh, with mainly corn, and with a mixed fermentation. Uh, chicha has never been brewed uh, with uh, pure yeast strains, uh, but in the last couple of years, different brewers are starting to reinterpret chicha. Uh, understanding that's a corn base, but also adding some uh, barley and using like local ingredients and using some mixed fermentation. Uh, trying to sour it a little bit with uh, mixed fermentation yeast or even doing kilo souring for it. Uh, so it's been redefined. And uh, that's as chicha and beer, I guess like there's always been a redefinition of what beer is. IPAs, for example, they always tell the story about IPAs being that specific beer sold in India, mm-hmm. brewed by the English. But I'm pretty sure the IPAs we drink right now are completely different from what the original IPA was. Probably so. I imagine it tastes quite a bit different oh, than probably, what, because yeah. it, it, I mean, it wasn't even made as a flavoring agent back then. It was just a preservative. It know? was just a preservative, and it was like a different type of beer for sure. Probably mixed fermentation. I've read like some some cool books about like there's a Mitch Steely IPA book speaking about that. It was more a marketing thing that came along, and uh, and that IPAs the beer that was being that was afterwards baptized as IPA was a beer that was sold for decades, and finally a marketing crew back from the 1800s decided that maybe this top-notch beer would be named as India Pale Ale, and that's where the name came from. So yeah, we never know where we get the names from and how beers evolve with time. But uh, cool thing about uh, a small craft independent brewer is that we can always reinterpret the styles. Sometimes they can work, sometimes they don't. But like always, have that in thirst of reinterpretation. Do you find being here like how, how does the government? kind of restrict how you operate breweries or have liquor license or anything like that or what's it kind of like in well uh, well the uh, the beer like the, the brewery license uh, it's uh, complicated an issue like all the brewers are scared of it um, after you get involved into it it's not as complicated there's laws yes and there's lots of like people brewing still without a license and I guess uh, uh, the authorities are kind of being friendly with the situation and trying, uh, waiting for the market to grow a bit more, and then they can really tax the market. Mm. So they're just like kind of understanding how how the beer scene has been growing. So the many of the beers don't have a license, but that's slowly changing. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you see that being like a good thing? Because then you'll have more breweries that are opening up, and it just. Uh, expands the craft beer market here or is that going to squash it a little bit? I think that's small, like it's going to grow, everything's going to grow, Uh, the uh, brewers 
and uh, the uh, prof the professionalization of uh, the authorities going after the breweries because many what happens here is uh, many people homebrew uh, but paises they're like entrepreneurial so they're always like uh, I don't homebrew I have a brewery so the first thing they do is that they <laughs> brew a couple of batches they have a friend that makes great logos or they come up with a label and they're still in their beer and many times it's contaminated beer and all but that mm -hmm. that has been improving that was even worse five years ago okay. uh, so there's like different tiers of the market but there's definitely lots of people going out and selling their homebrew and I think that will be a controlled for, like in the future uh, but it's not as controlled yet okay. For outsiders coming in trying to find breweries, that's going to be a good thing for us because let me tell you, on like Google Maps and Apple Maps, like it's so different. I mean, obviously it should be. It's a different country, so it's different trying to find the breweries and trying to find the tap rooms because there are a lot of breweries listed. But it turns out they're like in a house. And uh, they're home brews. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're yeah. home brews, but they have a brand. Yeah, that that's good and bad at the yeah. same time because uh, uh, lots of people are eager to sell their beer, but maybe not. Uh, uh, properly educated and uh, selling out contaminated beer that won't uh, get you sick but still like spoiled beer that doesn't taste good right. and that can also affect the market because right. somebody that doesn't know about craft beer will just try that and they won't be like oh this is a contaminated beer with a very strong diacetyl and phenols no no is it craft it's beer tastes bad. horrible crap yeah yeah they yeah. think craft, craft beer as a whole is bad because they're like oh i don't like craft beer exactly because they had a bad beer as they a had a bad beer <laughs> Back into, and the other thing is that uh, many uh, stores trying to sell craft beer, uh, but not uh, educated enough on how to store or keep mm. the craft beer. Mm -hmm. yeah. So many times buying cases that they would just like sit on on, on the heap for a couple of weeks and then try to sell it, and of course the beer is spoiled. Right. So I, I guess it's just like growing pains of the market. And then we have to, like, to swim our way through those and learning where's the best places where we can sell beer at. And even even better, if we could sell it directly, that's even better. Because then we we do know that we're uh, protecting the product till the end. Mm -hmm. So, did you have a question? I do, but it's off topic. I was going to go off topic, so go ahead. <laughs> Speaking of going off topic, I have a question for you. Are you a wild one? That mantra is exactly why we love Sacred Waters Brewing Company in Kalispell, Montana. Sacred Waters beer is perfect to bring on your next adventure, whether that's biking, hiking, boating, or even just relaxing in a hammock. But the best thing is to show up in the tap room because it's the tap room that is truly reminiscent of what you'll experience in Montana. So the next time you're traveling to Glacier or the Flathead Lake or anywhere in the Flathead Valley, let Sacred Waters Brewing Company, centrally located to all the beauty that is the Flathead Valley and Glacier National Park, be your first taste of Montana. From the blue floors that welcome you in reminiscent of the Flathead River to the photos on the wall highlighting the beauty of the Flathead Valley to the sacred beer and the handcrafted food, this is Montana. From Montana, Back to Medellin. I was gonna say we've talked a lot, a lot about beer in, in Colombia and Medellin in specifics, but and also the origins of beer in general. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about your origins in beer. Like, how did you get started in brewing in the first place, and like, what made you want to have your own brewery? And and now that now you have your own production facility and you have two tap rooms, so what got you started? Well, I always loved beer. I, I even remember like the first time I tried beer, I was like six or seven. 
um, just a sip. Like I remember my cousin, like even smaller, like asking for for his dad for a sip of beer. And I was like, if this dude's five and I'm seven, I, I, I have to have a sip too. <laughs> Didn't like it that much, but like, yeah, when I was a kid, just like maybe a sip of my, my father's bottle. Uh, maybe 16, 17, when I was 16 or 17, I, uh, I like to drink a couple of beers. I remember visiting this uh, brewery in Bogota. It was called back in those days, it still exists, has changed owners. Uh, Colon was the name. They had like a beautiful like tap room with the brewery in the back, like with the tanks. Since then I was like, when I grow up, I want to have a brewery. I want to own a brewery. And uh, then in my 20s, I got to travel a lot to the States for work as a conference interpreter and got in, like got to taste like great tasting beer. And I was mainly back in those days in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. And uh, was there like for, like in a two year period, I traveled to Atlanta like seven, eight times. So every time I was there, I would come back like uh, with beers, well initially with beers, then with the homebrew kit. And after that, just like the uh, hobby got out of control, like bought like a homebrew kit first, then brought back like more like ingredients, like uh, the syrup and the hops. And then I just started like uh, looking for, for local vendors and brew more beer and uh, having to drain beer away because it was horrible and or drinking it and <laughs> like really uh, celebrating when it came out like good. Yeah. And it just got out of control. And after the pandemic, like during the, I'm a conference interpreter, so I was traveling a lot. And when the pandemic hit, I stopped traveling, and we had this place already going on. So it was perfect for me just like to dive in into the beer scene and started brewing much more. So do you think is that when you feel like you kind of dialed in your process of becoming a better brewer? Or well, I think it was actually before that because uh, okay. yeah, I. Uh, 2K course, uh, like uh, six, seven years ago uh, at Siebel, okay. that's uh, oh, yeah. like a renowned institute in, in mm -hmm. the States in Chicago. I took yeah. an online course for three months. I was brewing beer and that just like uh, opened my mind a lot and just gave me like uh, the the ABC for beer. Like that's when I started improving my process and like it's a constant improvement process. Like I'm constantly improving. We're constantly make, trying to make things better constantly looking back and being kind of like uh, not ashamed but like oh man we did some stupid stuff in the past and I'm pretty sure that two years later two years from now I'll, I'll look back and say like it was great but like we were so naive so we're always trying to improve and make things better so constant improvement processes for sure well yeah just as a home brewer myself like I know I've made stuff three years ago four years ago whatever that at that time I was like wow this is really good and now I'd be like oh not so good. <laughs> Not so much. It's yeah. like, oh man, I can't believe I did that or this, making that beer, knowing that I probably really screwed something up somewhere, some yeah. off flavor or something yeah, that I just didn't know at that time. And being so confident that what you were doing and then looking back and like, okay, that was a great learning process, but I, I was so confident on and I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but if you wait it's till okay. you know everything no, you which you yeah. never do you'll never know anything if you wait till you think it's ready to go then you'll never start oh, you, have to, you have to jump in and, yeah. and suck and then brew horrible beer till you great, brew great beer yeah. mm -hmm. that's a, a friend of mine Jennifer Talley she's a, a great brewer from the states uh, she's uh, said once like I told her this once and she forgot that she actually said it but she said it as for you to make good beer you first have to make bad beer 
Mm. It's like you cannot yeah. just like start brewing and making great beer like all your life. Uh, you always like make one or two bad beers for sure. Is it kind of like the same thing? Like if you have, you really don't appreciate the great moments until you have bad moments, and then yeah. you're just like, oh my gosh, this is like fantastic. And, like it well, gives it, you that perspective. Of, even when things are good, you're always looking at I. I could have done this a little bit better. You always think about the little things that you could have done to make it. Oh, this would have. I should have done this, and it would have been perfect. Yeah. And then, and even if you did that, then you'd go. You'd think of something else you should have done, probably. Yeah. And sometimes you say like, I perfection this beer, and then you brew it again, and it doesn't come out the same way. Mm -hmm. it's, it's 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 a constant learning process. Yeah, there's a lot of science in it, but there's a lot of craft in it as well. It is. Yeah, there is for sure. Are you still a conference interpreter? I am, yeah. Okay. I, I still am. Like, I don't uh, do it as much anymore, but we still have a business running. And every now and then, with like a uh, couple of customers that we've always had, and like uh, they're good customers uh, come along, we do take the time and, and interpret. And that has all also helped me to travel a lot in the beer scene because, mm. like, I've offered my services also for beer competitions. So I'm invited as a conference interpreter and beer judge. So that's how I've grown my uh, my my beer judge expertise a lot. Because I'm like, uh, I'll be a conference interpreter, but I'll also be a judge. And yeah. And you get to do market research wherever you go for. <laughs> of course, yeah. Like, wherever you're doing interpreting, you can uh, check out all the breweries and see. Is that what it's called? What when I you go do. out and drink. Oh, we're not going out to drink. We're going market to work. Yeah, market, market research. Market research. Yeah. <laughs> So where have, where has your work or personal life taken you? What places across the globe? Oh, well, like with beer, I've been uh, lately last like four or five years. I've been at uh, Panama, Panama Brewfest. They had like cool uh, conference about like barrel aged beers. Mm -hmm. I've also been to Chile uh, translating a meat course once. Uh, several times to Ecuador to uh, Mitad del Mundo beer competition. They have great conferences there too. Uh, several times to Peru also, like a beer competition there that it doesn't exist anymore, but the pandemic uh, stopped mm. it, but like uh, several times there too, like uh, great uh, uh, beer competitions. Uh, for beer, yeah, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, uh, Panama, uh, for the moment, but as an interpreter, uh, like all around the Americas, uh, Panama, Costa Rica, the States, uh, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, uh, El Salvador, oh, wow. for, for, for wow. traveling, yeah. Okay, so for, for, for working, for, for working. Yeah. So what's one of your top memorable moments from all the travels you've had, beer or not? Uh, Beer-wise? Doesn't have to be beer. Well, uh, but it has to be beer anyway. Okay, right? fine. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yes, because beer is memorable. <laughs> all right. Well, I remember some, like, uh, well, back in those days where I was in Atlanta, it was great, like, visiting all the beers, uh, the breweries back then. Uh, yeah, I've heard they've changed some, some still around, some are not, no longer, but uh, a couple of, how was that town called? Alpharetta, Alpharetta, Atlanta, it was in the outskirts of, of, of Atlanta, they had, like, cool beer there, brewery there, Jekyll Brewery, like, you know, drank lots of their beer, learned lots from them. Uh, also, couple, Ecuador has also been great, like uh, Quito has a strong beer scene, oh, like okay. everyone there is like so friendly. Uh, Peru has a cool beer scene too. Uh, once we were at uh, at the Bronx for a week and got to see a couple of breweries at the Bronx, that was pretty impressive too. 
uh, Mississippi ones also like the checking out breweries in Jackson. That was fun. Mississippi. Mississippi. There's like twelve yeah. probably total breweries in the entire state probably, of Mississippi. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it's the least. It's there the may state not be that, that many after amount. the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, yeah, like Jackson downtown, it was called Lucky Town Brewery. Huh. Yeah, I think that one closed. I, I think Lucky Town may have closed. I still have your hat. Do you? Yeah. I just Keep love, it. It's, it's a collector's <laughs> item. Now, I, I just think. love that you mentioned Mississippi. If not, as a sorry. Great, like beer <laughs> memory, beer moment. Like, yeah, that's that's really awesome. Because where you go, you find the beer. You always, yeah. Like I yeah. love uh, Untapped, the app oh, yeah. uh-huh. that works better in some countries than others. But yeah, mm-hmm. like uh, using Untapped sometimes can take you like some cool ass places. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Argentina also. Last year I was in Argentina twice in October. Like they have like a beautiful beer scene right now going on. Beautiful beer scene. Great beers. Lots of like IPAs as well as barrel aged beers. Yeah, that was that was fun. It's always fun when you yeah, get to travel I mean, and get, get to try some good beers. Yeah. We were, I think, one of the... I mean, I don't think we knew exactly what to expect anyhow, so maybe it wasn't surprising, but we were in Ensenada in Baja, California. Oh, yeah. And Ensenada has a pretty good... So I've heard you were, you were for the beer competition there? Or no. For the beer festival? No, we weren't. not for the beer we festival. We are driving through down to Baja and, you know, traveling the way we travel and, like, knew we wanted to stop and find the breweries. And I've heard they have, like, a like, vibrant scene going on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Not, it's you know, I, I not as many breweries as here, but um, or in the states. But uh, yeah, there were probably a good ten or ten to 15, somewhere between ten and fifteen, maybe. And, yeah. And there were, I would say, three or four that really stood out as pretty darn good breweries. Um, they had a lot of the same issues, I, and I think this is common even in the states. Not maybe not as much, but when the beer gets away from the brewery. You oh, lose yeah, control of it. Travels away from the brewery. Yeah. yeah, if you got, if you bought those beers, because everybody there pretty much bottles or cans, and you could get a lot of those beers in supermercados and stuff, but they were usually terrible. And we found out that most of the transportation trucks there, the delivery trucks, are not refrigerated. For sure. So you've just killed the beer right out of as soon as it leaves your business but but when you went to the brewery itself they were fantastic i mean there were some really cool things going on i love it and that's a common problem you find around south america uh and central america just like uh, having beers at supermarkets many times they like uh, i don't trust anymore like ipas on on the shelves that are not on the fridge actually you could see that a lot like yeah uh uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that here even. Yeah, even like, with like, just yeah. Trace Cordilleras who distributes a lot. Yeah, here. you can even find that on the A lot of their beers were yeah. not that great in the store, and then you, we did go to their tap room, and they were quite a bit better in the tap room. Even we try to protect ourselves against that, but it's it's inevitable that yeah. some of the beers that come out from the brewery they will be like. Uh, Unproperly treated, and then the beer will suck. The bad thing about that is that whoever drinks that beer usually won't be like, "Oh, this is an oxidated beer. Probably it was yeah. mistreated." No, it's like this is a horrible brewery. Yeah, it's they the think you're a bad brewery. Yeah. yeah, and the same thing happens in the in the states as well. A lot of breweries hate the brewers, especially hate when the beer leaves the brewery. <laughs> like, well, then it stinks because you don't know what's going to happen. You like, don't even like you know. said before yeah. when it gets to the store, it may sit on a dock somewhere forever for whoever knows how long and out in the sun and 
well, you have different country laws it. here, like that, but in the states too, like it's so big, you have different laws via state. So like sometimes you can self-distribute your beer to other places, but if you're in another state, you can't self-distribute, so you have to rely on a distributor to do it. And so it's just everything is so different, and you don't always have that control that you want and need. <laughs> and you always want to sell more because you want to business to thrive. But yeah. Sometimes we try to be careful with that because like every like once and again we've found people that buy our beer that like don't treat it properly and then we try not to sell to those people anymore but new customers come in and then you have to trust and then you figure out that they are not treating the beer properly and then it's like uh, you have to be always like learning from the customers you're selling your beer to and uh, trying to educate them or just simply don't sell to them because they'll just like sell spoiled beer yeah yeah that's true and you've kind of i assume maybe combated that a little bit by having your own tap room you a couple of tap rooms not just one or something as you're calling priorities yeah and we always prefer like if we can sell kegs of course like Mm -hmm. we do have a couple of restaurants that they're like great and we do know that they treat our beer properly uh, and we do ball for them like uh, happily uh, but uh, kegs are, are great too, like because usually kegs will be kept on on refrigerated uh, devices, being a cold room or or, or a fridge. Uh, bottles not necessarily. And then when you t- take kegs, yeah, usually it's a few of the bars in the city that have like uh, drafts, and mm-hmm. they usually can they treat the beer better. But then things. Uh, Beer line, beer line cleaning, that's another aspect mm-hmm. that we have to be careful with. Because not all the bars here clean their lines. That's common everywhere, too. I it's, mean, it's uh, everywhere. It's a problem because not everybody pays attention to tap lines. And if you don't have the education on how that has a huge impact on the taste of the beer and the way the beer is served, it doesn't make you just like whatever. Yeah, everyone wants to have a bar. Everyone yeah. wants to own a bar. And yeah. many of them actually they do own a bar, but then they learn little by little. Yeah, yeah. They, they learn that yeah. maybe you shouldn't run that tap line for 75 feet from way back there. <laughs> I know, because you're always and just drinking the beer that's in the line. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of tap lines and tap rooms, ever dream of waking up at a brewery or in a vineyard or parking your RV beside a museum, right? With Harvest House, you can do just that. With over 4,000 unique locations, you can actually create your own unforgettable adventure. Plus, Harvest Host's newly updated app makes planning your trip easier than ever. Are you ready to reconnect with nature? Your journey begins with Harvest Host. Start your adventure today by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading to livingestoutlife.com and click the link on the homepage. Now back to the tap room in Medellin, Colombia. So your main, your main tap room then is in Poblado and it you're is. just off of the edge of Provenza. We are. Can yeah. you tell more? Tell like our listeners more a little bit about like what Poblado kind of is, maybe from your perspective, and maybe from like someone who's coming here to visit Medellin, their perspective. And, well, like, we Provenza. can give them the visit. I know, but I want to know like what maybe like what he sees because he's yeah. from here and like. Well, yeah, like Poblado like has been like the wealthiest uh, neighborhood in town. Like speaking about Medellin, and he has changed a lot through the years for sure. And within Poblado, there different neighborhoods so there's one that's Provenza and Provenza is a very small neighborhood anyway it's like uh, like 12 15 blocks uh, but it has become very very popular in the last uh, 10 years it's become like a restaurant bar a discotheque kind of place uh, 
for sure the most touristy place in town uh, with the good and the bad and the ugly yeah. of course because uh, what happens here in Medellin many times is that when like a place it starts getting trendy that brings in like everyone and everyone is everyone so that's like good people and and not so cool people so then you have like lots of street sellers and then you have maybe a couple of big pockets going on but that's I guess that's all around the world when a place yeah. just gets so popular the thing that we like a lot about our street and where our bar is it's at the end of uh, Provenza and mm -hmm. that's kept pretty quiet still well not quite uh, it, it's not that quiet anyway it's like still like lively and entertaining but it's not as chaotic as two blocks down could be. That probably will change in five years, not mm -hmm. sure. It's good for business, we're still up, uh, up for it, but uh, our street right now, it's pretty uh, pretty, pretty nice looking right now. And it's, it's trendy and it's uh, touristy, but not as much. So it's like those like hidden gems that you find. Yes, and it was totally a hidden gem, I thought, when we found it. Yeah, because I, like, oh, I think this is great. like that, as as a visitor coming into Medellin, like the heart of, of Provenza, is kind of like Las Vegas. What yeah. people think of as Las Vegas nightlife, or maybe downtown Nashville now is kind of that same way, or or New Orleans, where it's just crazy scene at two o'clock in the morning. Bar after but bar. But you're after kind bar. of on the edge of that, where you're you don't have to be quite in the thick of the madness part of it. You're more of the on the nice enter, entertainment side that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes like a couple of months ago, when we're not doing that good, we're like, would it be better if we're like riding right like in Main Street? Uh, but right now, after we've like uh, grown a right reputation and we brought in the kitchen that has helped us so much, uh, we're glad where we're at. Like it's a cool spot, it's still touristy, but not as much, and that doesn't bring in like all the street sellers or maybe. Uh, people begging for money that you could still get to see like in all South American city. So yeah, it's, it's a bit more comfortable, a bit more safe too. Yeah. And you're not getting the, the tourists that are like here to hardcore party. Cause that is part of the scene, like in Provenza, especially is Inevitably, like, there's, yeah. and that, you know, just like most places, there's that party scene and you're kind of somewhere in between where it's not, people aren't going to your place looking to get hammered and like maybe pick up a date or something you know yeah, yeah. you're, you're maybe yeah. taking a date there but you're you not know, like yeah, us but <laughs> yeah 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 do it's you a different thing. Find, like most do you find that you have what's like what's your customer base like is it more tourists or more like digital nomads because everybody is starting to know medellin yeah, is a digital nomad well, or is it more like locals we have we have uh, of them three like we do have locals but like Every now and then, uh, the bar is just only packed like with with expats. Mm -hmm. um, every now and then, we do have lots of digital nomads coming in. Uh, we have a friend that works for a digital nomad co company, and every now and then they come in like uh, on a monthly basis. They would just like groups of like twenty or thirty. Oh yeah. They come in and meet, but I would say it's more or less like half and half. Okay. Like half would be expats and the half below. Okay. That's pretty good mix then. yeah I know yeah, yeah. it's great because uh, well expats usually look for craft beer like yeah. Yeah. locals you still have to like to keep educating the culture right even though it's growing and there's people that love craft beer uh, usually people that travel look for craft beer too yeah
I mean, I can say, and I don't know how you think of it because you travel too, but as for us, when we travel, we like, it's nice to get out there and be the, see the culture of it. You don't want to always be surrounded by expats. Be like, I can do this oh, yeah. where I came from. I, I like, you want to like be kind of, um, what was it, surrounded by the culture of it too as well. But then there's always that kind of comfort spot where sometimes you just need the comfort of it. Yeah, and so. I think like our bar anyway gives like that, that local vibe, yeah. mm-hmm. that local bar vibe. And even though might be sometimes that we have majority of the tables with expats, it's still a it's a local looking place. It's not like a, a tourist trap or no. whatsoever. No, else. no, not at all. It's a beautiful space. Yeah, I think that's a cool thing with like for us that I don't know, maybe that is part of why we gravitate towards breweries too, is that you can go somewhere very different and there's a film a familiarity to it, but you still get the local culture and you get to experience what local is. Mm-hmm. You know, but you still have that comfort level of, oh, it's a brewery, it's cool. I think that's why we're, we're for us, we're also drawn to, like, nano breweries or small breweries. Yeah. Because, especially, like, a small town America, for example, or even small town in different countries, because that becomes a local hangout place. There's nowhere else no. to go. So, like, people come up and you hang out there. And so when you walk in, they might look at you strange because you're obviously not from there. But at breweries, most times you're just welcomed in. And I would say the whole city of Medellin is like that. Like, it just seems to be welcoming to a lot of people. Until we bombard it too much, and then everybody's going to be like, get out! Oh, but yeah, it's grown. Like, uh, many uh, sites and many magazines are kind of like among the top uh, tourist cities in the world right now. Maybe they're over saying, but... I mean, that's largely how we found Medellin, was that we wanted to go somewhere vastly different than anywhere we've been. And, and stay there for a while and get to experience the culture and learn more about it. But we also had to be able to work, you know. We're not independently wealthy and just traveling the world, you know. We're still working as we travel, so. The Median kept popping up, kept popping up for one of the top cities to go to and to work. I mean, I understand why it's popular. It's, you know, it's a beautiful city and there's a vibrant culture here and the people yeah. Overwhelm, you know, for the vast majority of it, people are very welcoming and friendly but, and helpful. But what do you see? Is that do you right. see like all these travelers coming in, posing possible problems in the future, or is it? Uh, what, do, what do you see? Well, I, I see it as a business opportunity for as a bar owner. Uh, probably that might inevitably it will change things, but for the good and bad. But but I think it's uh, like it's it's good for the city. Like mm-hmm. at the end. Like, uh, after adding and subtracting, I think it's positive for the city. Yeah. Obviously, it has, uh, oh yeah, there's uh, scumbag uh, backpackers anyway, or travelers yeah. coming along, but majority of them are good. They want to help the economy. They want to have a nice time. They do help businesses, so it's good. There's an argument going on now about, like, Lisbon, for example, is another one of the cities that's oh, yeah. a top expat, like, not really expat, but digital nomad place, and people are coming in, and the the main, I don't know what the governmental level is, but they're talking about like taking back their, there's like a year long digital nomad visa I think you can get. Yeah, and they're talking about getting that. rid of it because they have too many people coming in and it's making all the prices go up. But then you have all the entrepreneurs and the business owners who are like, no, if you get rid of this, then we're also gonna, you're gonna lose money first of all, because you have to pay for that visa. So the government's gonna lose money and then you're gonna lose people coming in. And then everything that we've been trying to build for like, you know, tourists and attracting for people decades, yeah. is going to be gone. 
It's so hard. like there's this whole clash of that going on now in Lisbon. Big, that's it's like all over the place with digital nomad news and stuff. Yeah. It's hard to strike a balance, you know, because like here in Medellin, it's a it's a city and an area that's like just within the last what two to three decades has really transformed itself from a place that wasn't all that. Um, wasn't really a desirable, well, yeah, you know, yeah, as, well, as a world traveler, you know, 30 years ago, this wasn't a place you would come. Yeah, it had a horrible fame, but yeah. that has changed the last couple of decades for sure. Yeah. And that's because the people here worked really hard to make it a place that, that does welcome people too, you know, I mean, but that's, you know, it's hard to find that balance to where, how do you get too many people here? And, but you need the people from outside to help build your economy up too. And, and uh, inevitably certain areas will be just uh, turning into tourist areas like Provenza, mm-hmm. like yeah. not many people living, not many locals living in Provenza anymore. Right. Yeah. Why would you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many of those places have turned into Airbnbs. Uh, you're priced the, out when that happens. And sometimes. the price changes, mm-hmm. of course. So if you still own the house, sometimes it's better just to move out and just rent it as an Airbnb, and yeah. then you have like a better income there. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's gentrification. It happens so everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. it does. We're all dealing with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but so we just stick to our RV and move around so we can be ungentrified wherever we go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you gentrify, we just drive um, drive away from gentrification. Exactly, we just drive away from it. Yeah. Until but we want to be driving the drift. Well, whatever. We're grateful. <laughs> Wherever, like all the passion comes from here, and we're grateful for it because we're grateful for the beers and yeah. Sierra Blanca is definitely one of the top breweries. Oh, that's yeah. here. That's I did like that. Enjoyed it. And this is a brown, you said? A, a no, brown porter. Brown, brown, brown porter. Good flavors. Yeah, it's an Idaho Seven. Went for the brown border. And this uh, is the Idaho Seven a single malt, single hop? Uh, it's a single, single hop, malt? single but hop, but it does have some rye. It's a pale. Oh, it's pale got a little rye. Right, yeah. Okay. No wonder I like this yeah. so much. <laughs> I, I think we should cheers to the um, chicken and the rooster. Oh, chicken! Yeah, we we'll have some sugar <laughs> for you. Yeah. Give you some right? sugars. Yeah, we have great art. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think we should cheer. Well, we're going to cheers to the chicken cheers. and the rooster cheers and then the monkey the that joined the party later. Yeah. <laughs> he crashed the party. <laughs> cheers. So maybe you could say to the chicken and the rooster, all the peoples and the locals and stuff, and to the expats and digital nomads that crashed the party later. That could be your monkey. That could be monkey. Yeah, it's, there you it's, go. it's not one person, it's everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and since you kind of blew it, I'm just going to say I'll add salute. 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 <laughs> salute. All right, that was awesome. That was a lot of fun. And if you guys follow us, we hope you do, you know damn well that we were in Colombia over a few months ago. It was actually in April. So um, editing this podcast and going back through it and like thinking of all of our memories and going back through pictures and stuff just really made me miss Midian. Um, We don't usually travel and stay a long time in big cities. We like the small towns and the small breweries and the small communities. But... I just, when I was editing this and listening to Carlos more, I just realized and remembered how much um, fun we had there and how many great people were there. So I think it's just kind of a message to people. Don't discredit something that you might think you don't want to do because, you know, you've learned you don't like it or something like that. Whether it's cities or small towns or someone you may or may not know or just don't judge something kind of thing, I guess. That's a deep lesson, but it's just making me think of all how much fun it was there and how much we still didn't see. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, we were there for a whole month. 
but we were only there for a month. You know, yeah. it's it's hard to see everything because it is such a large area. And we we bugged out for like a few days to go to uh, Salento and check out the coffee region up there, which was really awesome. But uh, like you said, I'm not generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of staying in a city for very long anymore. I like to visit things, you know, I, you know, I grew up in Denver for the most part, most of my life and I loved Denver and I still love Denver. It's just growing to a point that it's not comfortable for me anymore. But even so, just like most cities that get to be a hundred thousand or more people, not to mention maybe millions of people is just too much for me anymore. There's just I don't know. I think I think most of it is just the stress level and everything that comes with all that. All that comes with a big city. Maybe that's why Median wasn't so bad to us either because we weren't driving. That's true. We didn't really have to drive anywhere. We had no vehicle. We didn't drive. <laughs> we caught. We either walked, which we did quite a bit, and we caught some taxis here and there. And the metro. And yeah, we did use their metro system and their gondolas and. Yeah, gondola is part of the metro system. Yeah. That's freaking insanely cool. It is. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really liked it, and it didn't feel, I guess it didn't feel as big as it was to me. And maybe that's to be, part of that could just be because every, everything was so new. There were so many aspects of the culture that are different. And so taking that all in, maybe I kind of forgot how much hustle and bustle there might have been there but and that's actually like one of the reasons why we chose Medellin is I did hear that there's a pretty decent beer scene and I did hear that it's a pretty easy place to work mm-hmm. as a digital nomad but it's also something that we'd never considered it was just True. never on our radar and so something being new yeah, yeah I think that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to try it I heard a lot about it and it was new so it's a little uncomfortable but that's the piece that I really wanted to is a different culture, something new, something uncomfortable to just embed yourself into a community like that is an entirely different experience. But you know that doing that has become kind of a way we travel period. Like I was, I, as we were talking, I was kind of like, you know, that's what we kind of decided to do when we moved in the RV was do something uncomfortable. And the way we travel in the RV, we, we just try to find new different things and, try to new these experiences that take us out of our comfort zone sometimes and you find these cool people cool experiences that happen but as i think about it we actually have done that for a long time as we traveled because even when we traveled to other countries before we lived in the rv or even maybe around the united states we we always wanted to kind of immerse ourselves in the culture of the area we went to not just go see the touristy thing Right. I mean, there are some things you have to see. Like when of you're in course. Rome, like yeah, you have to go to the Colosseum. Come on. But, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not trying to put people down that do that. If that's what you like to do, that's what you like to do. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that we usually prioritize meeting people and having these kind of experiences with new people and people in, in different areas that we travel to over seeing the biggest ball of twine in the world or... Or, you know, this building or that museum even and things like that. There's a lot that comes with those. You know, you get to learn a lot of things about uh, a place's history and culture through museums and things like that. 
but I I like to learn more about from the people I guess that we meet, which has helped actually. Me, I'm the one when we go somewhere new. I'm kind of not this way anymore, but I still think like that sometimes. When we go somewhere new, I'm like, oh, look where we are on the map. Like we could go here, and we can go here, and we can go here, and we can go here. But <laughs> um, then I she's learned, still that way. yeah. Well, I learned that You've I can just kind of yourself slow down a little bit. And you so have. when you do slow down, that's when you actually get the experiences of meeting the people there who have lived there, or you know who who can tell you more and show you more and you actually feel like you're a part of the community even if it's just for a couple days Mm -hmm. like i know one of your favorite memories and mine too is when we're hanging out in some small little village in um ireland ardmore i think it was ardmore i think the name was ardmore yes but we were just hanging out and it was just a small little village there wasn't a whole lot going on and there was a football game going on and we went to this little pub and it turns out it you know was Ireland versus Italy, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. Ireland wasn't supposed and to win. This was the national teams but, playing in yeah. a big, like, basically like the big, big, uh, almost like an Olympic Games for Europe. Basically. But the whole point of that, like talking that the football game, the football game was going on, is just because you have people there who are in, living there in this small little community, and they're dedicated to watching the game, their home team. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking, like we usually do, sitting at the bar, talking to the bartender or beer tender at this pub, and he's a fifth generation owner of this pub. Yeah. And and then um, Ireland ended up, ended up upsetting Italy too. So and we were there at that moment, and if we had, you know, didn't slow down. Because I was all gung-ho about, let's go somewhere else. But we stayed there a couple more nights. So it was just like, if, if you actually take the time to slow down, you get to embed yourself a little bit more. And then, I don't know. That's not to say that we didn't do the Guinness tour. And got St. our little James certificate. And did our certificate on how to pour, how to pour. <laughs> a Guinness. So, you know, that's... And honestly, that's a pretty touristy experience now. But it was fun, especially being beer geeks that we are. That was still fun. It's just that, yeah. But as much as we enjoy that, we also loved that experience at that pub in Ardmore. You know, it was like really incredible. You can't see me, but my arms are up because I have something. Josh, our friend here in Big Fork, he said something that was really enlightening to me. And you guys have all heard the term FOMO. So if you make one wrong decision, you're going to miss out. And it's fear of missing out, right? So Josh said it's JOMO the joy of missing out so if you're going to do something that's going to miss out on something else but that one thing that you're actually doing is going to bring you joy so you're just going to have to like find the joy of missing out because there's so many things to do in this world and yeah so staying in one spot longer like we did a median Mm -hmm. was maybe we missed out on some other things like going to barranquilla or other places in the coastal communities that people the coastal regions of colombia that people talk a lot about Mm -hmm. we didn't go there but or Bogota. Right. Um, but we had, I like the journal, the joy of missing out. So we had our own joy. Yeah. And yeah, we did miss out. It just means we have to come back. Well, and I think that's something we focused on. Even in our travels in the RV now, like a lot more, I think we've focused on, yeah, but if we do this, we're going to miss out on this. And it's like, you know what? We can't do everything. So let's focus on what we want to do right now. And fully enjoy that yes and not worry about oh we missed the other thing over there 
So big deal. That's kind of what I want to say and transition into. We're super excited because Camp Carpe Diem is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, if you don't have your tickets yet, you could still get them. But more than likely, you're probably not because it's in Montana and it's far away and it's still, it's just a couple of weeks. But I want to say, don't have this fear of missing out. Have the joy of what you're doing, wherever you're going to be, yeah. September 28th, because you're going to be doing something else cool. And just pay attention because we're not done. So if you've ever wanted to come to Camp Carpe Diem, we're going to be having it next year too. So don't feel like you're missing out on something. Just look forward to next year with Camp Carpe Diem. Does that work for an, <laughs> for an ad? Does that work, you guys? Are you excited now? If you don't do it now, you'll be one year older when you do. Warren Miller. All right. With As that. usual, we ramble on at the end, and hopefully you always listen to us till the end. Yeah, and with that, I'd say salud and adios. Cheers to Jomo. Jomo. And Carlos and Sierra Blanca and Eddie and, <laughs> and all the good shit. Cheers. Cheers. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs. 